Good morning. Our first Bible reading is found on page 99 of the Church Bibles, uh, Leviticus chapter 16. Um, I'm going to be reading from verse 6 to verse 22. Um, As you've heard at the moment, our series is on Jesus' work on the cross, and part of the background for that is to understand uh, what God did to his people, through his people in the Old Testament. And in this passage, we hear about some instructions given to the high priest Aaron for one day each year called the Day of Atonement and what is to happen on that day. And you'll notice in particular uh, actions involving two goats. So uh, Leviticus chapter 16, beginning at verse 6. Aaron is the high priest. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat 
and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. The second reading is found on page 1038 from Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would not have stopped being, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Andrew West. I'm one of the pastors here at church. Great to be with you here this morning. You might want to turn back to our first reading, Leviticus chapter 16 on page 99, and as you turn to Leviticus 16, let's pray together as we come before God and his word. Let's pray. Lord God, teach us your ways. Guide us in your truth. We pray this morning as we look at your cross that you would show us again your majesty and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for those of you who have been Christians for a while, you will know that there's always times in your Christian life where you struggle with assurance. 
you struggle to have confidence in your faith and confidence in Jesus. Maybe you are struck by your guilt of your sin and you think, can I really be confident that I'm forgiven? Maybe you compare yourself to someone else and uh, you realize how far you fall short and you say, can I really be confident that I'm going to make it to heaven? Maybe you've had a week this last week where you felt distant from God. And so you're thinking, can I have assurance that God really loves me, that God's really with me? These struggles for, com- for, for confidence and assurance is something many Christians face regularly, and the solution is always the same. Whenever we want confidence and assurance in our faith, it's looking again at the cross. Looking at the cross where Jesus died as a perfect sacrifice for you and I. That's what we're doing. We're in a series looking at the cross. We're in week two, and we believe the cross is the most important event in all of history. And today we're looking at the question, what does it mean for Jesus on that cross to be a sacrifice? A sacrifice. We've got two questions this morning. The first question is, why do you and I need a sacrifice? Why do you and I need a sacrifice? And the second question is, what type of sacrifice do you and I need? so deeply need. Let's look at the first question. Why do you and I need a sacrifice? I, uh, I get squeamish when I look at blood. Does anyone like me? I'm a bit of a wuss. Uh, I remember my little brother, we were down at, um, uh, at the Maritime Museum in Darling Harbour and I was a kid and my little brother fell down some steps and his nose was bleeding. There's a lot of blood. And my parents were freaking out about him, trying to make sure he was okay. Little did they know, I was the one who was passed out on the floor (laughs) at the sight of the blood. My wife's giving birth for the first time in December. I don't know how I'm going to go watching her in labor. We'll see. The the sight of blood makes me squeamish. What does blood represent? It represents life. Blood reminds us of our mortality. Mortality. I saw a sign this week from the Red Cross, give blood, save a life. And so in our reading, the first reading we had, Leviticus 16, I don't know if you noticed, there was a lot of blood. There was a lot of blood. Leviticus 16, as Keith explained, was the Day of Atonement, most important day in the Jewish calendar, the day sacrifices were made to bring people in a right relationship with God. And there was a lot of blood. Aaron, the high priest, he had to kill a bull. Then he had to kill a goat. And for both of them, he had to put the blood in certain places. And it sounds a bit like a horror film, doesn't it? Why? Why why all this obsession with blood? What is with all of this blood sacrifice? Well, the answer is that a penalty needs to be paid for our sin. A penalty needs to be paid for our sin, and that penalty is death. Blood needs to be shed. We saw last week, if you were with us last week, that we have all sinned against God. Every single one of us ignored our Creator, 
lived our own way, loved other things besides him, done things we shouldn't have done, not done things we should have done. Every one of us is lost in our sin. And for us to be in a relationship with God, this problem of sin needs to be dealt with. A penalty needs to be paid. The punishment is death. Blood needs to be shed. Look up on the screen, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The next verse up on the screen, Leviticus 17. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. That word atonement is at one, being made one with God, made in a right relationship with God. For that to happen, blood needs to be shed. A penalty needs to be paid for our sin. Now, maybe you're thinking, hang on, why does God demand that blood shed for our sin against him? I mean, if someone hurts my feelings, I don't demand that someone dies and blood shed. But when we ask a question like that, it shows that we don't understand how serious our sin really is and how majestic God is. Our sin is serious. God can't just ignore it. He can't just do what we used to do when we were kids. You know, your parents are checking your room and making sure you've cleaned it right and you hide everything under the bed and hope they don't notice. God can't do that. He can't just pretend that the sin in our life doesn't exist. He is perfect. He is holy. He is pure. He is set apart. Any sin is an affront, an insult against his majesty. And he's also a fair God and a just God. I mean, imagine a judge in a law court letting a murderer off the hook. Just going, oh, it's fine. Just forget about it. That'd be a horrible judge. It would be a an insult to the dignity of the law. God is a fair and just God. He can't just ignore wrongdoing. We've rebelled against him. He's angry. And rightfully so. He loves us, but he's angry. And the punishment of death, the punishment fits the crime. It truly fits the crime. But the amazing thing you see throughout the whole Bible, and you can even see it in Leviticus, or near the beginning of the Bible, is God loves us so much that he provides a way for us to be in a relationship with him. That's always been the case. He loves us so much that in his mercy and grace, he provides a way back to him. Now, in the Old Testament, the way he did that was through animal sacrifices. Animal sacrifices. Let's have a look, and I'm sorry to the animal activists in the room. Let's have a look and see what we see in Leviticus 16. The first sacrifice, we see it in verse 15, that we're going to look at is the first goat. Verse 15. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people, and take its blood behind the curtain, and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover, and in front of it. God tells uh, this high priest, Aaron, 
to take the goat, slaughter it. And the reason why is it was to be a sin offering. A sin offering. The, the penalty that the people deserve to pay for their sin, well, this goat was offered as an offering for them. This goat died to pay the penalty for their sin. There's a second goat. This second goat is a bit more lucky. This is the goat you want to be. Look at verse 20. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He's to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. This second goat, Adam, uh, Aaron is told to lay his hands on the goat, not to pat it and say that it's a cute goat and you know, cuddle it. By laying his hands on it, it was representing that the sin of the people was being transferred onto that goat. That goat was taking the place of the people bearing the guilt of their sin and their rebellion. The goat is a substitute, a substitute taking the people's place. Now, next week, we're going to look much more deeply at this idea of Jesus' death being a substitute. But we do need to understand it a little bit this week. What is a substitute? I always think back to when I played basketball in year 10, and it was my first time playing basketball. And I was in the mighty, well, not the A's, not the B's, not the C's, not the D's, not the E's, not the F's, not the G's, but the mighty H's. <laughs> the mighty H's. I could have been in the colours, by the way, so it could have been worse. I was in the mighty H's, and my role on the team? The substitute. <laughs> my dad would drive me around to different games, all around Sydney, and most of the time I would be sitting on the sidelines and then would come my moment of glory. My moment of glory, the coach would call for substitutes, I would run on there and I would take the place of another player until the coach realised what a mistake he'd made and called me back off again. <laughs> that was what I was doing, taking the place of another player. That's what a substitute is. This goat here is standing in for the people, taking the penalty they were meant to pay. And what happens to the goat? Well, the goat is sent into the wilderness. Why? Their sin is taken far away. Their guilt is removed. It's gone. That goat is gone. And the sacrifice of this first goat and this second goat heading out into the wilderness both brings for the people cleansing. Cleansing. You can see there in verse 30. On this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. Cleansing. Sins forgiven, 
washed clean, the penalty paid, sin removed. Now, we need a sacrifice. We need a sacrifice. You and I need a sacrifice. We bear the guilt of our sin on our shoulders. But you'll be thankful to know at 9.45 service this morning, there will be no slaughtering of goats up the front here. That's not the plan. See, we actually need a better sacrifice. A better sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament actually were pointing to the perfect sacrifice. Why don't you turn your Bibles to our second reading, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Could someone call out the page number when they've got it? Hebrews 1038, thank you. 1038. Hebrews chapter 10. Look what the writer of the Hebrews says. He's reflecting on what we just read. He's reflecting on all these Old Testament sacrifices. And by the way, we just read it, some of them. There's so much more in the Old Testament in terms of sacrifices. He's reflecting on them. And look what he writes in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, Make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But these sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The writer starts by saying, These Old Testament sacrifices in the law, they're just a shadow. They're not the real thing. They're pointing to the real thing, but they're not the real thing. They're a shadow of what's to come. It's kind of like a photograph. When you look at a photograph, you are not looking at the real thing, are you? You're looking at the photo. We went to the British Museum last year. And um, I was just struck by how many of these tourists in the British Museum will walk up to something incredible, you know, an artifact, take a quick photo, maybe a selfie, and walk away. You know those people? Uh, I just remember, I was standing there looking at the real thing with my eyes, examining it, reflecting on it. They, all they saw of it was through their phone screen. And their only memory is the photo not the real thing. These Old Testament sacrifices, they're not the real thing. They're pointing to the real thing that's to come. See, what was wrong with the Old Testament sacrifices? Well, he says they had to keep being offered endlessly year after year. They'd be offered for sin, and then the people would sin again. And they'd have to be offered again. Then the people would sin again. And then another sacrifice over and over again. A constant reminder that they are failing. A constant reminder of their sin, of their brokenness over and over again. And yes, it cleansed them, but only on the outside. It didn't actually cleanse their hearts, their conscience, the core of who they are. It didn't change them from the inside out. And not just that, even the priest had to make a sacrifice for himself because he was a sinner. 
No, they pointed to the perfect sacrifice that is to come. And that perfect sacrifice is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. There's three reasons why Jesus' sacrifice is perfect and the better sacrifice. The first reason is Jesus sacrificed himself. He sacrificed himself. Just think about that. This is the Son of God. God himself sacrificing himself for us in our place, dying the death we deserve to die. Isn't that just mind-blowing? Isn't that just incredible? God sacrificing himself for us. Jesus, he, he willingly sacrificed himself to us, for us. It wasn't like he was made to by God the Father. He willingly laid his life down. And it's not like he did it to kind of uh, twist God the Father's leg and kind of persuade him to do something he didn't want to do. No, God the Father and God the Son both took the initiative in this sacrifice. And Jesus' sacrifice was a perfect sacrifice as well. See, I couldn't die for you, for your sins. I would achieve nothing if I tried to die for your sins. I'm a sinner just as much as you are. But here we have a man who never sinned, pure, perfect, a spotless sacrifice. The second reason why Jesus' sacrifice is better is that Jesus' sacrifice cleansed our sin, truly dealt with our sin. When John the Baptist first saw Jesus, what did he yell out? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God, not like the lamb in, lambs in the Old Testament that were sacrificed. He's the perfect Lamb of God who takes away our sin, truly takes away our sin. As he died there on that cross, he paid our penalty. He entered the terror of judgment, sin, death on our behalf. And as he hung there, paying for our sins, the punishment is paid and we can be forgiven if we trust him. Look in verse 10 and see it right there, verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus' sacrifice has made us holy, clean, washed pure through his death on the cross. The penalty has been paid by his blood. I want you to imagine something for me. I want you to imagine that you enter into a large room. This room is huge. You can't see the end of it. It's massive. And you look around the room and there are filing cabinets everywhere. Line down the room. You walk up to the first filing cabinet and you look and there's a label on the front. It says, lies I have told. You open up the filing cabinet and you see inside are thousands of cards 
Thousands of cards. You pick up the first card. Listed on it is a lie that you told decades ago. You don't even remember it. And there is your name signed. Put the card back in. You pull out another card. It's another lie you've told. There's your name signed. You realize in this filing cabinet is a record of every lie you have ever told. Recorded there with your name. You go to the next filing cabinet. It says, times I've been greedy. Inside that filing cabinet, thousands of cards. The next filing cabinet, lustful thoughts. The next filing cabinet, times I've been rude. Times I've been self... You realize the whole room. That whole room is filled with every record of every sin you've ever committed. And then you see Jesus... He walks into the room. And with tears in his eyes, he walks up to the first filing cabinet, opens the drawer, takes out the first card. And where your name is, he crosses it out and writes his name in his blood. Puts the card back in, picks up the next card, crosses out your name, writes it in his blood, his name. And he keeps doing that until every single card and every single filing cabinet in that room no longer bears your name, but has his name in his blood. That is what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross. His blood was shed for you, taking the penalty for you so that your record is clean, so you're forgiven. And it's not just on the outside. Even in our heart, if we trust Jesus, our heart has been transformed, cleansed on the inside out. His sacrifice has cleansed our sin. The last reason why Jesus' sacrifice is better is it was once for all. Once for all. Look at verse 10 again. Verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. These Old Testament priests, he says, They had to keep offering sacrifices over and over again. The people were still sinful. More sacrifices were needed. They were on their feet, standing. The job was never done. But Jesus, his sacrifice was perfect. He was the high priest who sacrificed not a lamb, but himself. And his job is done. Look at what it says he's doing in verse 12. He sat down. What do you do after a hard day of work when the job's done? You sit down. 
Jesus' job's done. It's finished. The sacrifice has been paid. There's no more to be done. Forgiveness is secured. It's guaranteed. He's done all that's necessary, and we are forgiven. You know, it's so sad when Christians get this wrong. The the official teaching of the Catholic Church is that in the Mass, when the Lord's Supper is taken, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper later, the official teaching of the Catholic Church is that Jesus is being sacrificed again. Every time the Lord's Supper is taken, Jesus is sacrificed again. No. His sacrifice was once for all. Enough to pay for our sins in the past, present, and future. It's enough. It's the same reason why the pastors at our church are not called priests. I am not a priest. James is not, Paul's not a priest. You don't need us to make sacrifices for you. Jesus has made the perfect sacrifice for you. Why would you want to go back to having humans making sacrifices on your behalf? Jesus' sacrifice was enough. All that was needed. And the best reason why, the best, the best implication of the fact that Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all, you know what the best thing about it is? The assurance that we get. No more needs to be done. We have confidence that we're forgiven. There's nothing we can offer, nothing we can do. All we contribute is our sin. And when we realize that, that we can't earn our approval by God, the burden of sin that's on our shoulders falls at the feet of the cross. That's why right after this passage in verse 19 to 25, and we won't read it, but the writer of the Hebrews talks about confidence. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. We have confidence, we have assurance because Jesus' death was enough. Corrie Ten Boom wrote this quote. She says, God takes our sins, the past, the present, the future, and dumps them in the sea and puts up a sign that says, no fishing allowed. Isn't that great? This once for all sacrifice paid for our sins once and for all. It's done. Satan may accuse you. You may accuse yourself and say, your sin is too great. God can't forgive you. You're not good enough. But Jesus' sacrifice, perfect once and for all. All. He loves you. You are forgiven. Your sins are washed clean. Nothing can change that truth. So, what are you going to do? If you haven't trusted Jesus yet, his blood's been shed for you. Would you trust him? Become a Christian. Don't delay. His blood was shed for you. I'll finish with the great verse from the old hymn. What can wash away my sin? 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus.